Mike, thank you very much. That was kind. Appreciate that. Had a long friendship with you and that PL, so appreciate you giving me that fine introduction. And Jim, thank you for having me here today. It's an honor to be with you. It's uh this is not the kind of weather we have in Florida, by the way. So if you're sick of this, please come down and see us. The community's not too high yet, and it's a gorgeous time to come visit Florida. And by the way, if you haven't, if you're thinking about buying real estate in Florida, if you haven't bought your beach house yet or second home. Florida's on sale. <laughs> Cheapest real estate prices that I have seen in my lifetime. You all want to own a home in Florida. All your friends own one. And you go down there and you visit, you say, well, I just can't afford it. But now you can. So please come down to Florida. You're going to find 50% off waterfront property. So if you don't buy now, you will say, I could have bought it then. And you will feel bad. So please do that. And, and the electricity, <laughs> especially if you're on the West Coast, no. But seriously, it's, thank you for coming out early in the morning. I know you have a lot of other things and important things to be doing and hear me talk, so I appreciate you coming out and having us have a little bit of time to spend together. This has been a very interesting nine months for me. Uh, nine months ago, I was, uh, or ten months ago, I was practicing while running a statewide law firm in Florida. I had been the governor's chief of staff. Senator Martinez resigned. And then all of a sudden I found myself in a contest of sorts to uh, be the next senator from Florida. I did not expect to be picked. Uh, it was a very awkward time between myself and the governor. Not as awkward as it is now. <laughs> but awkward because we would talk about issues all the time, and I would give him advice when he would ask for it on different policy issues. So we talked for three weeks about everything else but this, as he went around the state and interviewed uh, a lot of other folks. And I was down in West Palm Beach at our office there, uh, late 4.30, 5 o'clock, and I got a phone call from the governor's chief of staff saying the governor wants to see you in Washington, I mean in Tallahassee. And I said, why does the governor want to see me? He said, well, he wants to talk to me. Like, what does he want to talk to me about? <clears throat> he said, he, want, he wants you to come up tonight. So got on a plane, flew to Tallahassee. My wife was there with our three kids at the time, three sons. I say at the time because we have four now. And I didn't tell her that I was back in town because I didn't want to disappoint her or get her too excited if it were going to be, because I still thought there was a reasonable chance he was going to call me and say, you know, love you, picking somebody else. <laughs> so I went to the governor's mansion, and he put his hand on my shoulder and said, it's going to be a good night, which again didn't give me a lot of comfort, because I didn't know where that was going. <laughs> but he sat down, I sat down with him in the little foyer that they have in the, in the governor's mansion, and he looked at me and he said, George, I want you to serve the people well in Washington, D.C. Which you can imagine is pretty emotional thing to go through. And ever since I've been here, when I turn down New Jersey Avenue and come towards the Capitol, I still get a lump in my throat. Because for all the problems we have, and all the frustrations that there are, and all the challenges that we have to overcome, and there are a lot, we still have the greatest government in the world. That Capitol still stands for democracy and freedom and a republic that guarantees constitutional rights. A country where you can criticize your government practice, any religion you wish or not, defend yourself with the right to bear arms, and feel that no matter what happens, you are innocent until proven guilty before a court of law. Those liberties we take for granted. But in Florida, we take them a little less for granted because 90 miles south of Key West is a country where none of those rights are there. 
none of those rights exist. And we have a huge, as you know, Cuban population, mostly in Southeast Florida, but now all over the state. People who've come from a place that still exists where you can't practice your religion, where you get thrown in jail for blogging against the government, or get beat up. And we've seen some of these folks been in jail 20, 30 years and eventually die. So we have to realize, and we'll talk today about some of the frustrations of what's going on here in Washington, that it's still the best experiment in the world for democracy, and it's still the last best hope, I think, for freedom in the world. So I get here nine or ten months ago, and I always knew, Michael, how strange Washington was in terms of spending. You know, you watch it from afar and you say, those people really don't understand how families have to do their budgets, how businesses have to do their budgets. But I didn't really realize it until I got up close to it. So I come from Florida where we have a balanced budget amendment. When I was the governor's chief of staff in 2007, our economy starts to decline. I'm on the phone talking to the budget people saying, how are our receipts? Because I know that we can't spend more money than we take in. When you have declining receipts, tax receipts in Florida, like a lot of states with balanced budgets, you have three choices. You can raise taxes, you can cut spending, or you can find a new source of revenue. There is no fourth choice, call up the treasury and print more money. Or fifth choice, go into debt by selling your bonds to China. So to come here and understand that going in, but then to watch it up close, to watch the fact that no one even looks at the receipts, the tax receipts that government's taking in when it determines how much money it's going to spend. The fact that we're not going to probably have a budget this year, and that when we do have a budget, it doesn't mean anything. That we pass appropriations bills in silos. On the Senate side, I think it's the same in the House, we pass transportation, we pass defense, and 15, 20, 30 percent, not defense, but these other ones, without any accounting of if we raise this one, what are we going to lower this one over here? Because that's not part of the equation. That's not even background music in Washington, D.C. I came here in September of 2009. Our national debt was $12 trillion. Today it's 13. It took 200 years for this country to amass its first trillion dollars in debt. And we did another trillion dollars in nine months. The size of the federal government has doubled since 1999. As you know, this town is booming. <coughs> Highest commercial office space, uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, prices in the country more than Manhattan now. I know I'm getting a little feel of this for paying rent in Spring Valley. And the average federal government employee makes $70,000 a year, not including pension. The average private sector employee in America makes 50. 100,000 new federal employees since President Obama was elected. At the rate that we're going, by 2020, we will have a 22-plus trillion dollar national debt. Right now, we spend $200 billion a year on debt service alone. $200 billion to pay for things we couldn't afford before. Recently, when we went out in the marketplace with our bonds, <coughs> excuse me, we had to pay a higher, higher yield rate than Warren Buffett because the world no longer has as much confidence in the United States Treasury as it does in the private sector, Warren Buffett. 